long time, and uh, we've just been we just been diving into David's life, and we're really trying to understand who is this man. And why was he a man after God's own heart? We want to walk in his footsteps, right? We're looking at David as an example of how we're to love God and to, and to be ultimately like Jesus. And so we're, we've seen a lot of things about David, how he was a man of the word and he was a man of faith. And he was a man of the presence of God. And he was a worshiper. So we've looked at those things, not so that we can just have a nice little sermon or, or just read it just to read it, but so that we could say, dude, this guy really loved the Lord. I want to love God like that. This guy fulfilled his calling. He was a leader and a king and a warrior, and, he, and he, God blessed him, but he also, God used him mightily. And so you and I, we come before the Lord and say, Lord, I want to have a heart for God. I want to I know how to follow Jesus. I want to fulfill my calling. How do I do that? We can look at David, and we're learning from David. And then in the last few weeks, uh, you know, maybe about the m- last month, we've been specifically focused on David's trials, when David was being chased by Saul, most of you remember that. And, and so we've been in that season of David's life where Saul was chasing David, probably, I, I suggested, at oh, close to a decade, maybe not quite 10 years, but a long time that David was being chased by King Saul. And it was a very horrible time. And we asked the question, how did David respond to those trials? And, uh, and, and we can follow David's footsteps in the way he responded to this horrible time in his life. Here David was a man of faith. He didn't do anything to uh, allow this to happen. This was an injustice. This was a wickedness. David, it wasn't like David sinned or something like that. David being faithful, walking in integrity, and Saul wants to kill him out of jealousy. So how do we respond to something like that? And we saw that David was tested in everything. And that's, that's something that I've said to you before, and I'll say it a hundred times as your pastor, that everything will be tested. You will all, your faith will always be tested. Everything that God gives to you, he wants to give to you, he wants to bless you, it's his will and his desire for you to, to flourish, but it will always be tested, partly because we live in a broken and fallen world, and partly, I don't know, there's probably other reasons we can get into another day, why do those things happen, but everything gets tested in our hearts. And so David's faith was tested, wasn't it? Was he going to blame God or not? And we saw a couple weeks ago that he didn't blame God, he blessed God. He worshiped the Lord. He said, no, I'm going to sing to you, I'm going to praise you. And we saw that David didn't blame the Lord. David said, no, that, that wicked man's trying to get me, but I'm still going to praise you. And we saw that David believed that God loved him. A lot of times when we go through trials, we, we question God, don't we? How could you let this happen? Maybe you don't love me. And we start accusing God's character as, as if he changed. No, he is always faithful. Amen? He always loves with an unfailing love. And he, and he purchased you with the blood of his son, Jesus. He is for you. And when those bad things come and those temptations and those trials come, it's so important to keep our hearts. Say, no, Lord, this is not you. This is the enemy. This is the scheme of the enemy. And yet we know that no weapon formed against us shall prosper. It's essential that we turn our hearts to worship the Lord. The other thing we saw that David did was he obeyed God. He passed what we call the obedience test. So many people, they go through hard times or they start wrestling with temptation. And they say, you know, I just really need to take time for myself. Take time for myself. You know what I think? Dude, that's been your problem all along. You've been taking time for yourself. Your whole life is about self. That's the problem. And so, but David wasn't like that, was he? David had a noble heart. David knew he was called to serve the Lord. David knew he was called to, uh, to minister to other people. David knew he was called to be king. Even though he didn't have a position as king, he thought like a king, didn't he? I remember, you know, the moment I came to the Lord... 
I started serving in a Christian club. They elected me to be the Christian club president. I don't know why they did that. Crazy people. And the Lord started speaking to me, I want you to be a pastor. Well, I wasn't like, oh, okay, cool. So I'm going to go to Bible college, and then I'm going to do all this and do that, and I'm going to get a position because it's all about money, right? No, I, I said, well, the Lord wants me to pastor people. So I found people to pastor. Does that make sense? I found, hey, my heart, I want to know God. And I want you to know God, and if you don't know him, I'm going to lead you to Jesus. And if you already know him, I'm going to help you know him better. That was my heart from the very beginning. From the very beginning. That was actually my mission statement. Somebody said, you should write a mission statement for your life. I was 16 years old. I want people to know God. Yeah, I want to know God. I want them to know God. Like, it was really that simple. And you know what somebody told me when they said that? They said, that's not specific enough. That really crushed me as a 16-year-old. And you know what? They were wrong. That's pretty specific. <laughs> you know? Now, things have gotten more specific the older I've gotten, and I know my gifts and my specific calling. But that's it. Bottom line, that's it. And so guess what? Now I'm a pastor. I remember one time I became a senior pastor five years ago or so, a little over five years, and my friend was like, man, you're a pastor now. Man, you, you've arrived. And you know what? With like kind of tears in my eyes, I said, not about that. The question is, what kind of pastor am I going to be? The only reason God gives us position is so we can serve people, right? So David, he's getting chased by King Saul, but what did we see? If you guys remember that obedience message, he passed the obedience test because even though he had no position, everything's been taken away from him. Saul's trying to kill him, yet he's still thinking about the Lord's interest. He hears about some friends of his, some some, uh, family members, you know, extended family member. Israel was being attacked by the Philistines, and he said, Lord, what do you want me to do? You want me to go to get him? He wasn't thinking about self. He was still diving into ministry. It's so important. We go through hard times. You keep giving. You keep asking, well, Lord, what do you want me to do? And so many people, they go inward, they go passive, they go selfish. And yet David said, Lord, what do you want me to do? That's the obedience test. It's not, it's not passive obedience, it's active obedience. And then the third thing we saw, I think a couple weeks ago, was he passed the integrity test. Remember that? He had two chances to kill King Saul. Two chances where he could have killed Saul and boom, done, right? That's the way to do it, right? This guy's trying to kill me. God said, I'm going to be king. Let's kill him. Let's get it over with. The trial's done and I can become king, right? And remember, what do you do when you're being tempted? When everybody, if you remember, everyone was telling David, kill him. Remember, they even said to David, this God said you should do this. They were trying to tell him that God said this. They were trying to, what do you do when you're being tempted? And people, everyone around you, you know, you can go to wise counselors or you can go to ungodly counselors. Ungodly counselors sound like, yeah, you deserve better. Oh, man, I can't believe he treats you like that. Yeah, 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 you should, you should marry somebody else. Yeah, that's what an ungodly counselor sounds like, right? Because they're flattering you. The Bible says flattery sets a trap for a friend's feet. It's ungodly counsel because they're not telling you how to walk in the ways of the Lord, how to walk in the word. What did David do? What did David do? He's being tempted. Oh man, I want to kill this guy. He's tempted to make the, 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 the promises happen for himself. He's, he's tempted to listen to his friends who are telling him to do this. He's struggling with this anger. He's struggling with fear. He's struggling in these trials. What do you do when you're going through these trials? You know, I remember when I was, uh, I don't know, I guess... I'd been a Christian for about four or five years, and I was going through, uh, you know, some people call it the dark night of the soul. I just call it, I called it hell. But really, it was because, it was because it was, I had so much shame and condemnation and pride in my life. 
I, I really, I mean, I didn't feel the Lord's presence. I didn't think the Lord loved me. I was really struggling with that. And I really was going through just, there was a, I was at a conference and struggling. I really felt, man, I'm going to hell, you know, just not like really believing in my head, but like, I just felt this, like, felt so bad and just struggling with all this condemnation and this pride in my life. And I remember I had I have never been more tempted in my life to just go get drunk and numb out and just do something dumb right? Now, before I was saved, I used to do that, but for different reasons, right? Uh, but I had come to the Lord and looked to the Lord for everything. And I remember just in that time, it's, I'll tell you, when you're going through hard times, when there's a struggle in a relationship or something's going on, that's when you're most tempted. The enemy come, that's what you should do. I'm out at a gate. That's when you're most tempted. And you know what? Oh, I'd never been so pulled in that direction. I had been walking in holiness, getting free from stuff as a Christian. And I remember when I was being tempted that night, I said, man, I just want to get up, give up, man. I just get this, right? I remember I was at that conference. I was with a really good friend of mine. And I remember thinking, boy, I'm really glad as a Christian that I've cut a lot of that junk out of my life. Because I was able to, I had boundaries there. I had boundaries in my life to not go down that path. So I just, I just kind of stayed put. I'm going to hang out with my friend. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay just worshiping. We're at a conference. I'm just going to stay worshiping. I'm not going to go and check out. And through that, those wise decisions of sticking with accountability friends and staying with the Lord and saying, I'm not going to medicate, that's how you get wholeness. Because you keep pressing into the Lord instead of going off into these dumb paths. I always tell people you're just, a, just delaying the inevitable of God getting you and healing you. And you're just ruining it, ruining your, ruining stuff on the meantime. So I praise God that I had put boundaries in my life, right? That's what we talked about in this integrity test. You need, we need boundaries. We need, we need to give ourselves rules. No, I'm not going to do that. And we need to also have spiritual disciplines in our life. There's a reason why. Man, we read the Bible every day, every day, every day. There's a reason we go to church whether we feel like it or not. Tithe whether we feel like it or not. Because it's integrity. And I love it what David said. Everyone's saying, kill Saul. What did he say? Not these hands. Remember that? He says, as for my hands. Saul, you can do whatever you want, but as for my hands, they will not be against you. My hands will not be against you. You know what that means, right? People can say whatever they want to you. You are responsible for you, right? Amen? You're responsible for your hands. You're responsible for your mouth. You're responsible for your choices. But she, but he, I don't care what anyone else does. My hands. I'm responsible for the Lord. That's integrity. And you say, Lord, I fear you. I walk in the fear of the Lord. And I'm going to do what you said, no matter what other people do. And that is your responsibility, your ability to respond. Amen? So that, that we've seen David pass these tests. I'll, I'll tell you, David is fascinating that he was able to think that way and keep his head focused on the Lord and his heart and his mind focused on the Lord. Today, from 1 Samuel 18, I want to I talk to you about Jonathan and David's relationship. I want to talk to you about covenant friendship today. I felt this from the Lord. I mean, the Lord, I wasn't even planning on this. Again, this is one of the, uh, another message I wasn't planning on. And the Lord told me, showed me, uh, you know, we need to talk about covenant friendship. The relationship between Jonathan and David. They had an amazing relationship. 
And I want to I show you this. We're going to look at a couple of different stories with Jonathan and David. And we'll start there in 1 Samuel 18, looking at their relationship. Now, when he had finished speaking to Saul, talking about David. Actually, real quick, the, the context of this, I'm sorry. 1 Samuel 17, he, he has killed Goliath, right? He killed Goliath with that stone, and then he cut Goliath's head off. And, he is, and then now, after he did that, and, and they, they, they destroyed all the other Philistines, he was, he was ushered into the presence of King Saul, and he's literally, he's holding the head of Goliath. Holding the head of Goliath, right? And Saul went head over heels over David, right? No, I'm just messing, all right? <laughs> so he, uh, he walks into the presence of King Saul with the head of Goliath. That's just, I, that's just weird to me, okay? Just holding the head. And, um, and he says, uh, and then it says, uh, when he had finished speaking to Saul... So Saul's asking him questions, find out who, what's going on with you. It says, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. This is where we get the word soulmates. They stole it from the Bible. That there, his soul was knit to the soul of David. And it says, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Then it says, Saul took him that day and would not let him go home to his father's house anymore. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant, made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan took off the robe that was on him and gave it to David with his armor, even to his sword and his bow and his belt. Now, see, in our culture, we've had for years, for, for years, we've, we've been told that men don't feel and, and men don't have deep, intimate relationships and, 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 and men don't talk about their feelings. And then we've had years, I mean, I'm sure if we were to write the statistics out, it'd be like, uh, statistics say that we have seen 10,000 hours of shows that have told us that, that men are idiots and, and, and men don't feel and men don't express feelings. And now, in these last couple decades, we've had show after show after show and, and media telling us that, that, that if you have, you know, if you, if you uh, that the only way for men to have that kind of soul-to-soul relationship is in a homosexual relationship. And neither of those things are true. Men actually can have deep, intimate relationships with other men. Soul-to-soul connection. And see, here's the thing. The Lord wants us to have these kinds of covenant friends where we have soul-to-soul connection, deep, intimate connection. Number one, you know who your number one covenant partner is? Oh, there you go. You guys went there. I was thinking earthly right now. Yes, Jesus is our covenant friend. Amen. We're betrothed to Jesus. He loves you. We'll talk about that another week. You know who your number one covenant friend is? Your spouse, if you're married. We long for it, don't we? We were created for relationships, right? You know, Proverbs chapter 18.1 says that an unstable man isolates himself from other people. See, it's a lie to think, I don't need anyone. I used to think that as a new Christian, I had a lot of trust issues. I used to say, all I need is Jesus. All I need is Jesus. That sounds really spiritual, doesn't it? Except for the fact that he said we need people. (laughs) And he created us that way, and he ministers to us through people. We are the church, like we've been talking about. We're the family of God. If you're, a fa- if you're a son or daughter of God, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. Do you know that we're in a covenant relationship, brothers and sisters in Christ? 
Well, not only that, remember in Genesis chapter 2, God even said, I mean, think about it, Adam and Eve in the garden. I mean, sorry, not Adam and Eve. Adam and God hanging out in the Garden of Eden. And God goes, well, it's not good for man to be alone. I mean, there's no sin. And he said, it's not good for man to be alone. And God created uh, Eve, and obviously he had this in mind the whole time, the human, human race is male and female, but he was trying to show Adam, you need a strength opposite you. You need a counterpart, one who's different from you, totally opposite. You're going to think she comes from another planet, but she really doesn't. She came from your own flesh. But, but she's different from you, but she completes you. She strengthens you. You need that, Adam. And so that's why those of you who are single, I know it can be tough. You were created, unless God called you to be celibate, and you would know it, by the way, okay? So uh, unless you're called to be celibate, God wants to give you that person, that covenant friend, partner, who will be with you for the rest of your life, forever, really, and that you'd covenant to, male and female relationship. However, I'd like to let you know, ladies, your husband will never meet all of your needs, okay? He doesn't have a clue, all those emotions of what's going on inside of you. Ladies, you need a friend, a covenant friend, right? And see, I want to talk to you about Jonathan and David's covenant friendship. And so for ladies, it's going to be Jonathina and Davidina or something, you know? I know there's probably some real names for all that. But anyways, so yeah, uh, you, ladies, you need a covenant friends too. You need that covenant friendship. Men need that covenant friendship. Many men, they, they, you know, they, they, uh, they talk about the, the American male just isolated, quiet, and depressed, silently going through life, inwardly holding it all in because hasn't found a safe place to express those emotions and things like that. Because, well, if I express my emotions, I'm either gay or, you know, right? Now, I'm not trying to be derogatory about homosexuals, but I am saying, no, no, that, that mindset that you can't have as a man or as a woman, you can't have deep, intimate relationship with another man or another woman, Male to male, field to field. Without being homosexual, that is because of the bent and brokenness of our culture. It's a deception that has been sown into our culture, and it's not right. And so there are people who, you know, they think Jonathan and David were from San Francisco. All right? Yeah? John, <laughs> John Paul told me that one. <laughs> they think, no, 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 no. Jonathan and David love the Lord, and they're walking in God's ways, and, and they had wives but they were deeply connected to one another in a very healthy way that we all need. We all need relationships, don't we? And every single one of us, we long for, we desire, and we need covenant friendships. See, some of us, we're shy and introverted, and, man, you know, how am I ever going to find that deep connection? Others of you, you're the outgoing type. You're fun. And it, oh, you can, you're magnetic, and you draw lots of people to you. But just because you have lots of friends doesn't mean you have a covenant friend. And I'll tell you, it could be one, like I said, number one, your spouse is, is called to be your covenant friend, even if it's not working right now. I'm going to talk about that a little bit. But if, if you're, you're, you and your spouse are called to be covenant friends, God puts that person in your life, that you, men, that you would be graced to your wives, wives, that you would be graced to your husbands, and you would complete one another and together fulfill your calling. But even male to male, God wants us in the church to gather as a family on mission in our small groups, whether, whether formal life groups like we call them, whether informal. But you can't come to church like this and, 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 and just like, hey, how you doing, man? What's up, brother? Yeah. And, that, and that's not going to create a covenant friendship. Now, that can, what do we do here? What do we do here? This is called family reunion. 
All of our life groups come together. We're a church of churches. All of us, you've been doing life with other, other brothers and sisters in the Lord. We come together, we worship together, we hear the word. I, as your pastor, calling, I'm speaking the word of the Lord to you so that you then in your, in your families on mission, in your groups, whether informal or formal groups, going out to lunch, whatever you do, you can talk about it, you can live it out, you can work it out together. But just going like, hey, how you doing, brother? That, this, is, this is where we can meet. But it's only when we say, hey, you want to hang out? That's the beginning of what could become covenant friendship. It's only when we go and start gathering in life groups that that could happen. So that's what I want to talk to you about today. Now, I'm not going to say, you know, we've been saying follow in the footsteps of David. So here it is. Here's following the footsteps of David. Have a covenant friend. Oh, how do you do that? I'm being silly. I can't tell you to have a covenant friend. That's silly. It's like telling a single person would just get married. That's just, that's just mean, right? And we need to take that person out and... Do something. No, I'm joking. That you can't, I can't tell you, just find them. Find that person. Do it, you know? No, 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 no. Here's what I want to talk to you about today. I want to show you in the Word. How can you become the kind of person that could be a covenant friend? What are the three things? I just want to talk about three things. Three things that you can do right now to cultivate in your own heart the type of person you need to be to be a covenant friend. And, by the way, these three things are the same three things you need to be looking at for other, in other people. See, some of you, you get into relationships with other people and you wonder, why is it not deep? Or why, is this, why do people keep hurting me? Or why are these relationships unfaithful? There's a reason, because you're not looking for these qualities in them. Honestly, a lot of us, we're, we're, we're kind of naive when it comes to relationships. Both for ourselves and for others. So we need to know, what kind of person do I need to be and what kind of person do other people need to be? And I'll tell you this, if you understand these three principles I'm going to go over, it could greatly help you. Now, I'm saying God will bring that person to your life, that spouse or that friend into your life, but there is so much that we can cultivate. There's so much. And it's funny how many people, like, who are single, they won't grow in some of these things until they, like, bump into the person, right? But the funny thing is, you could meet the person that God wants you to marry, and actually some of you have married the person God wants you to marry, and the problem at the relationship is not the other person. We've got to learn to cultivate these things before God brings those people into our lives. Or at least we can do it before, and if they're already in our lives, we can cultivate it. So, for example, you might even be sitting here saying, I really wish I could have a life group where people are really connected. You know, man, maybe I should just go to another church. Maybe that's not the problem. Maybe the people that God wants you to be your covenant friends, obviously, maybe is, really is. Maybe they're right here. They're right here. Look around and realize that God has people in your life. That could, the relationship could go deep if you understood how to do it. So Jonathan and David were different kinds of people, as we've already said. And there's a reason why they had covenant friendship. Now, uh, all right, let's look at this. Three ways, three ways that we can be or three things we need to look for in other people's lives. You know, and I, I usually don't do three points, and so this is like the, this is a special today. You know, this is a special message. Three point going on here, three point wonder. Now, usually I can only handle one point, so I don't know. This might take us three hours or so, so just messing, just joking. I know some of you actually thought I was serious, but uh, those three ways, becoming friendships, go really quick. Here we go. The first one, please put it up there. First one. The principle is simple. Okay, you need to put it up there. Like attracts like. Go for it. Do it. There it is. Thank you. Maybe he was like, what is it? 
The first principle you got to understand about covenant friendship is like attracts like. All right? Now, they talk about this in like, you know, chemistry class. Just joking. It's not in chemistry class. In, uh, in relational chemistry. They'll talk about this in terms of personality, in terms of ethnicity and things like that. But I'm not, I don't mean that. Okay? Especially in the church when we're all completely diverse. And it should be that way. And, by the way, in husbands and wives, you might be attracted to somebody who's your diff- same ethnicity. Maybe. But, uh... They're a different gender, so they're completely opposite you, all right? So, you know, this is not what I mean when I say that uh, like attracts like in terms of personality and stuff like that. What I mean is like attracts like, not just in things like personality or things like that. What I mean is in things like healthiness, spirituality, faith, your morality, your, 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 your integrity. Like attracts like. Listen to me. If you are a healthy person... You will attract healthy people, and you will be attracted to healthy people. If you are not a healthy person, you will attract unhealthy people to your life, and you will be attracted to unhealthy people. I know you guys know what I'm talking about because I know you got to have some friend that you just think, now why does she date those people? Why does he date those people? Come on, we all said it in junior high, right? I mean, guys, guys, you got to be with me on this, right? Every guy, every good guy always said, man, why the... Why are those girls always dating guys that, like, break their hearts, man? Right? Am I alone? Am I alone? Anyone else? Anyone else? Please. That's what we said when we were in junior high. You want to know why? Because unhealthy attracts unhealthy. But the opposite is true. Healthy person is attracted to healthy people. And guess what? You don't even realize it. Want to know why? Because if you're unhealthy, you don't even know you're unhealthy. And a lot of times when you're healthy, you don't even realize what kind of vibe you're sending off and what kind of vibe you're attracted to. I'm telling you, this is exactly how it works. Think about Jonathan and David. Jonathan, listen, Jonathan is over there on the camp of the, of the Israelites, and he watches David walk right out to the Philistine, and he had a strut too, I'm telling you. It's not in the Bible, but I'm telling you, he had that strut, right? Bam. And you know there was some theme music. I know, because everyone got theme music. And, uh, and you know he had that sling, right? And he just... And he told Goliath, I'm going to take, take your head off in the name of the Lord. And he goes, not only you, all you guys up there, I'm going to take you out too in the name of the Lord, right? I mean, he, David, one guy, one dude talking smack to all the Philistines, right? So he swings that thing, bam. And obviously it wasn't just David's coolness. That was the power of God, right? Goliath falls on his face. David takes a sword, cuts his head off. All the Israelites get excited, bam, right? Jonathan's watching this whole thing. Jonathan's thinking to himself, dude, that is the man. I like that guy. Then David stands before Saul and, and Jonathan's listening to him. Jonathan's listening. And it says after David talked with Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to him. Probably Jonathan and David talked a little bit. And then they ended up forming a covenant. Okay, so their friendship developed pretty pretty quickly in the sense that they got to know each other and then they formed a covenant. I'll talk about that covenant here in a second. They formed a covenant. And, uh, but I want you to understand, why was it that Jonathan was so drawn to David? Like, dude, I, I want that guy to be my friend. I want to hang out with guys like that. Why? Because of who David was. Because he was a man of faith. He wasn't hiding and being passive like everyone else. He obviously was not a fearful, passive leader like his dad. Jonathan was already beginning to lose respect for his dad based on the narrative before this. But he sees someone like David and he goes, I like that guy. 
But you got to understand something about Jonathan. Why was Jonathan attracted to that? Why was Jonathan drawn? And why would David reciprocate that? You guys remember the story of a number of chapters earlier? When Jonathan and Saul and the Israelite army, this is when David was a little bit younger and David wasn't in the picture, they're hanging out and, and they're all, pa- again, they're passive. This is before David and Goliath. Philistines on one side of the valley, the, or canyon, and the Israelites on the other side. And the Israelites are like, I don't know what to do. And a bunch of Israelites were so freaked out because the Philistines were stronger, they had defected to the other side. So Jonathan's sitting around while his dad's doing nothing. And Jonathan's like, man, what? we got to do something. So he tells his armor bearer, many of you guys know the story, tells his armor bearer, hey, hey, let's go to the other side. <laughs> yeah, I like you. He goes, let's go to the other side. He goes, because I th- God's with us. Remember, and he, and, he told, and he told his armor bearer, he goes, because God could save whether by many or by few, right? He knew the stories like Gideon. He knew the stories in the Bible. He knows what God could do. What do you, do you see? Jonathan was a man of faith. John, Jonathan had courage. And so he goes, let's do this. And his, and his armor bearer goes, I'm with your heart and soul. They climb up. And the crazy thing is, they're, they're totally putting themselves in a bad situation. They had to climb up these rocks. And Jonathan goes, if they tell us to climb up there, we know God's on our side. You know, that, that's a dumb sign. You want to know why? All right, come here. Come here. I'm going to knock you in the head the moment you get over that cliff. He says, but if they don't say that. So you know what you're doing. You know what that is, basically. That's basically called, like, we're going to do it no matter what. Basically, like, hey, God's got, you know, if, God's, if they say to come up here, that's a sign. I mean, you know, that's like one of those, like, if a car drives by, you know, you're outside of a car drives by in the next, you know, it's a dumb sign. So he's, the point is that he, he's, he's just, he's a man of faith. He climbs up there and they take out a bunch of Philistines. And then what happened? An earthquake. The supernatural power of God came in. God said, yeah, like that guy, right? Just like David. Mm, that's my boy right there. Earthquake happened. Freaked all the Philistines out. They start scattering and killing each other, like because of the confusion. Jonathan's fighting. The Israelites come to battle. The, the defectors that were on the Philistine side, they start fighting and they win that battle. Jonathan and David, they're very similar. I love it. Paul says we have a like, in one of the uh, letters, Paul says we have a like precious faith. Faith is drawn to pe- other people with faith. Integrity is drawn to other people who have integrity. Humility, kindness. When I say healthiness, I mean that when you're unhealthy, you've got some, these wounds in your heart and you're medicating and you look to other people to rescue you, you know. You have this brokenness in you and you think, I just want somebody to rescue me. So you're attracted. Oftentimes that, that person, uh, you know, like a, uh, uh, sometimes, uh, say a passive man, is attracted to a woman take charge. And it's not wrong because it's cool to have women with the type A personality. That's not the problem. The problem is that he's allowing that person, he's attracted in an unhealthy way to that person. It happens all the time. Oftentimes women attracted to a man in an unhealthy way. Just rescue me, save me, right? And it can become a very in, uh, codependent, unhealthy relationship. I know for me, this is how it's worked in my life. My, one of my best friends, well, I'll call him my covenant friend, Billy. And I have more than one person that I, uh, you know, that are like my, my mighty men. But my friend Billy, we were attracted by, you know, I use the word attracted, not like in a weird way, right? We were drawn to one another instantly. 
started worshiping together, praying together, going out and witnessing and laying hands on people. I remember we were at a Taco Bell trying to lay hands on a person who was in a wheelchair. <clears throat> they didn't get up. Uh, well, we've learned things since then. So, uh, but that, that's just who we were, right? And my friend was so bold and he kind of got me going. So I fed on that strength. But you know what? We were both, we both had father issues as well. We were overly intense uh, out of some legalism. We strived, you know, to try to earn God's favor. And so, boy, we were both very sincere. We both loved the Lord, but we also had some major issues and we were drawn to one another in both of those ways. You know, even Michelle and I, you know what attracted me to Michelle immediately? I could tell she loved the Lord. She was hungry for God. She tells me, no, it's just the way I looked at you because I liked you. No, that's not really true. It's both, okay? I would talk about God, and she was like, dude, this guy knows God. And then she'd look at me that way, and I'd go, she wants God. And then I didn't realize that she liked me too. Okay, so this went on. We were, we were friends for many years. We were friends for many years. But I'll tell you, when we got together, there was some brokenness in, uh, in both of us. There was a number of things that were issues. We ended up breaking up. I, well, I broke up with her, I should say. I broke up with her before we got married, obviously. <clears throat> yeah. Because of the brokenness and the unhealthiness in my life that we were attracted to as well. So we actually had to work through that so that we would, and this, I'll tell you, this is true of so many marriages, what drew you to each other, there were some positive things, and what drew you to each other were probably some unhealthy things. And it's simply just because of who we are as human beings and some of the brokenness. And so, of course, because you were drawn to each other with brokenness, well, you go find another spouse, right? Anyone? No. Can I hear a no? Yeah, come on now. Of course not. You deal with the brokenness. Like attracts like. You need to understand this. And so the best thing you could ever do is become, I'll put that back up there, become the person you want to have as a friend. Become that person. Stop thinking about other people and what kind of people they need to be, except what I said earlier, that you need to look for healthy, trustworthy people who are people of faith and people of integrity, and, right? To have a track record of being consistent and faithful. You can look at that in other people. What I'm saying is, you know, it's like Michael Jackson, right? Like, you know, Thomas and I were joking about that, right? It's like the Michael Jackson song. You know what I'm saying? Take a look at yourself. Make a change. You know what I'm saying? Come on. I'm not singing and dancing for you guys. The man in the mirror thing. Okay? So, all starts with the woman or the man in the mirror. You need to become the person that God wants you to be, but the person that you want. You know, isn't that funny how Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself, Right? Love people like you want them to love you. So guess what? Become the friend that you want to have. What I want to challenge you is you don't have to wait to find that boyfriend or, you know, your future spouse to start seeking God and getting whole. And if you've got dad issues or mom issues, go to counseling. Find godly counsel again. But you see what I'm saying? You don't need to wait. You need to seek God. You need to pursue wholeness and healthiness. I remember when the Lord told me I was going to get married. I mean, it was one of those, like, you're going to get married. I was, you know, it's okay. I was 17 years old. I was a new Christian. I had a lot of fears of rejection. The Lord said, you're going to be married one day. I was kind of, I didn't really want to hear that at the moment. I just wasn't really in a place right now. It was one of those, uh, you know, I was one of those guys that like, oh, I'm done with that. You know, I'm done with the herd. Oh, you know, I'm going to go a different direction, isolate myself. That's what was starting to happen as a Christian. And the Lord didn't let me do that kind of stuff. He would correct me and rebuke me. He said, you're going to get married. You know what I told him? I said, teach me how to love. 
17. I'm not close to getting married. Teach me how to love. What I'm saying is I pursued to be that kind of person. And you can ask my wife. I'm still learning. But uh, I pursued to be a certain kind of person. And so I was drawn to those kinds of people. And the Lord began, when the Lord began to deliver me from, from like legalism and stuff like that, man, I can pick it out of a crowd. I can pick out unsafe people nowadays. And I, I used to just run. <laughs> I, just, I used to be so scared of people who, was, who were legalistic and controlling and stuff like that because I was so prone to that. I was like, a, I didn't want to be around it. And uh, I've learned to be gracious to people and stuff. But you have to know what is a healthy person. Like attracts like. And so pursue becoming a healthy person. And um, <clears throat> yeah, yeah, that's what I'm trying to say. All right. Let me just say one more thing about husbands and wives. The Bible says in Proverbs 31, 31, Charm is deceptive, beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is great to be praised. Same could be switched around for men, but listen to me. You find someone who fears God. Why? Because that's true integrity. They do it. But how is it? They love God more than you. They're more committed to God than they are to you. They fear God. They'll walk in His ways no matter what. what I, they fear the Lord. Okay? See, listen to me. And I'm saying this is true, though, of even friendships. There are people who are flamboyant and fun. Fun can last for a little bit. There's people who are charismatic and magnetic. And those guys are people, men and women are awesome. But can they stick with it for the long haul? Do they have consistency and integrity in their life? Which leads me to the second point. Is commitment brings safety in relationships. And let me say it emphatically. Only commitment brings safety. Let me say it another way. If people are not committed, you will not feel safe. And if you are not committed, people will not feel safe around you. Now what I mean by that with safety is I mean safe to be yourself. Free to be you and me, right? Free, safe, open, deep conversation, deep intimacy. Why do you think people stay shallow? Why do you think many husbands and wives, it stays shallow? I don't trust you. I don't feel safe around you. Now think about this in the church. Because we're going to look at the, I, want to, I just want to look at these principles from a couple different angles. Think about this in the church. You long for deep, intimate relations with brothers and sisters in Christ. Man, I just really long for that in the church. Amen? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Are you committed to it? Are you a long-haul kind of thinker? Because if you're not, you're probably never going to experience it. I'm telling you, we in the church are too much like our culture. We don't understand covenant. We don't understand how to stick it out in relationship and fight for relationship. So guess what? We go from church to church for program to program, and, when it, and we just don't feel that deep connection, we go on to another church. Now, I understand when people are moving because of physical things or job locate, relocations or your students, and so I understand that. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about your character. As long as you don't want deep, intimate relationship or you're not committed to it and committed to fight through some of the, the, the conflicts people have in church and in marriage and in friendship... If you're going to have a friend longer than five years, you're going to fight with them. 
They're going to let you down. Male, whatever, okay? If you can't move through that, okay, forgiveness here is called the glue of relationship. If you can't move through that, you'll never have those deep, intimate friendships. Literally, in the church, we're shooting ourselves in the foot. I find it hilarious, sadly so, how people will do that. They'll come to the church, and I want these covenant, and we need these friendships, and move on. You're shooting yourself in the foot. If you're going to have deep, intimate friendship, if we're going to go deeper and have these kind of covenant friendships, it means getting into a group, a home group, and sticking with it. It means getting with some brothers and sisters in the Lord and sticking with it. It means getting married and sticking with it. Thank you very much, right? For life, amen? Until people feel that you are committed to them, to the relationship, they won't feel safe and they won't open up. Probably why you don't open up. Now, some of us have trust issues. Some of us, because we've been hurt by other people, we have a hard time opening up. What I'm going to say to you in this is if you have those trust issues, get them dealt with. Come to them with the Lord. Maybe go to counseling. Deal with those issues. Remember that forgiveness clears the past issues, allowing Jesus to heal you and brings you to the present. If you're still living in the past hurt, it's because you haven't forgiven yet. Forgiveness is you release that person who hurt you, you let Jesus come and heal you, and it brings you to the present. The best illustration I can give for this is what I would call a trust bank. Every, every one of us have a trust bank. And if everything I do and say to you, I'm putting into your trust bank or I'm depleting your trust bank. And many of us have withdrawn so much, you know, and people will loan you for a little bit, right? They'll loan out money to you. But sooner or later, you will default on those loans. They'll say, I'm done. It happens sometimes with husbands and wives. We need to understand that I need to build your trust. There's a lot of people who, who believe trust is earned. I'm sorry, trust is expected. They'll expect you to trust them. Or you expect people to trust you, but you don't understand trust is earned. How will we ever find covenant friendships, deep covenant friendships, without time? Because do you know how you learn to trust somebody? Consistency over time is trust. I've been married 10 years. I was sitting across the dinner table with my wife at Valentine's, the best Valentine's I've ever had. And I said to my wife, I really enjoy having dinner with my new wife. A joke. I was going to post it on Facebook. I was joking. No, she told me, you should post that on Facebook. That's what she said. I'm not posting on Facebook. People wouldn't understand. I'm telling you, I have never known my wife like this. How could I know somebody for probably 14 years, 10 years of being married, and it's not like we didn't had a horrible relationship. How, how is it that now, I, I know her deeper than ever. That's what happens in relationships where you go long. I remember when I was going through that time where I was, had a lot of pride and stuff, like I just mentioned, a really hard time, a depressed time. I thought to myself, I could leave this church. I could go somewhere where people don't know me. That was another one of those things. That was one of those, that was the other dumb thought I had besides go and get drunk, right? I, I, we, we, I already told you I didn't do the drunk part. I just stick with Jesus. But I thought I could go to another church. And the Lord impressed in my spirit, but I did it more by principle. I don't know if I really heard God. I did it by principle at that point. No, I'm going to stay where they know me. This is what I'm talking about. Commitment brings safety. And if you're not in it for the long haul, you'll never really go deep. And you'll never be able to cultivate that trust. 
So the kind of people you need to look for are people who are in it for the long haul kind of people and the kind of people who are consistent over a long period of time. Let me ask you some questions. For example, is your yes, yes, and your no, no? If your yes is not yes and your no is not no, nobody can trust you. Oh, I promise I'll show up. I'll promise I'll get this for you. They don't show up. Now, little things, we all make mistakes. So it's one thing to you have you know, little things. But when it becomes big or it becomes repetitive, people can't trust you. They'll stop asking you. This is what I'm talking about. Are you that kind of person that keeps your word and you're faithful? Are you the kind of person who is uh, 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 committed and consistent? Same thing. Are the people in your life that way? If you're thinking, hmm, I'm dating this person. Should we get married? Or do they fear the Lord? Do, are they consistent? Do they keep their word? Do you see what I'm kind of saying? Do you, do you see what I'm saying? Um, I think you guys are catching it. So, <clears throat> so it's very important that we understand how to cultivate this kind of safety in our relationships. And here's really what it is. When you're being a faithful person and you're being consistent, people will begin to trust you. They'll begin to open up to you. I was, we were watching a video this week, Michelle and I, about a marriage. Uh, they called it the, uh, on Bethel.tv, they called it their un, 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 unlikely happily ever after. It was great, great message. And um, listen to this. And it was hilarious to me because they're talking about their first 10 years of marriage were like hell, they basically said. They were like, oh, this is crazy. And because there was a lot, a lot of brokenness in both of their past, they talked about that. In the they talked about their brokenness. They talked about their conflicts. And they talked about what kept them together was they would go to people. They came from broken homes and divorced homes and all. So they never had any models of anyone who ever stuck it out. But every time it got hard, I love it. She said, this is what the girl said. She said, Sherry, she, Sherry said, I could have gone to people that told me, you deserve better and you should leave them. I could have gone to those people. But instead, both of them said, we went to people who believed in covenant. Covenant. Who understood that there's one option and that's we work it out. And that these people would give them wisdom of covenant instead of uh, opposite of God and Godliness and keep them, keep, keep them on track. What, was, what I thought was funny was she said... Yeah, I thought it started getting better at about year 12. And he said, I thought it started getting better at about year 15. I thought that was hilarious. And you want to know why? Because at about year 12, he changed. He started loving her unconditionally. Cherishing her, nourishing her, being a consistent person. As long as I react to you, I'm not safe. You say something mean to me and I say something mean back, I don't care who started it, I'm no longer a safe person. But guess what happens when a husband just, just determines in his heart, as for my hands, I'm going to love her as Christ loved the church. I'm going to nourish her and cherish her. I'm going to fight for her. I'm going to protect her no matter what. She could be a heathen. She could hate me. I'm going to love her. I'm going to love. I'm going to love. I'm going to love. She can say something mean. I'm going to love. She could be inconsistent. I'm going to love. She could like not do any responsibilities. I'm going to love. When a man does that, or a woman, I'll tell you, it takes one person to change the relationship. When, so, when you do that, when you're a consistent, faithful person, it tells the other person, especially, and when you're in it for the long haul, it tells the other person, no matter what I do, no matter what I say, you're here for me, they start trusting you. Why do you think kids are so trusting to us? Why do you think kids are so themselves around their moms? Because they know she's not 
going anywhere. Now, most moms, right? That's why kids are so themselves around their moms. It's the same thing with Sherry and Danny and this thing I'm telling you. He started loving her unconditionally at 12 years of marriage. She went to counseling, went to this thing called Sozo, and she realized and she came back and told him, I don't feel safe because you don't fight for me. You don't protect me. This is what she said at year 12. She started opening up. She started getting honest with him. That's beautiful. That's, every marriage needs that. She started getting honest. Now, here's what men do. Ouch, that hurts, and get defensive, right? Here's what Danny did. Change. If my wife, and she has, by the way, tells me I don't feel safe with you, guess who the problem is? Right here. If my wife says you put other people first, you don't serve me, well, guess what Dave Turner did? I cried. Years ago. Maybe five years ago. Actually, almost six years ago. And I started changing. But she didn't change right away because she still didn't feel safe. I had to work on my attitude. I had to work what's really going on in my heart. I had to get to a point where I really did love her unconditionally if she never, ever changes. Most of us, we're not like that. Most of us, we're not like that. And because in our home groups, we put that off in our home groups. How can I tell you something in my home group if you're going to judge me or think differently of me, right? This is why we need a church of grace. So I began to give grace to my wife. Just like Danny Silk, who's given grace to his wife at year started opening up. He says it got better at year 15. You want to know why? Because it took three years for her to change. Same thing in my marriage. Not as bad as the Danny Silk and Sherry. I started loving my wife. She started feeling free to be herself. And now I had a Valentine's dinner with my wife. And it was like I was having dinner with my new wife. And I don't mean new wife in a bad way. She's becoming so free and so herself in my presence. And we know each other in a way. And I actually feel safe, more safe before her, actually. The more she's opened up, the more safe I feel. And you know what it started with? It started with my absolute resolve to love like Christ. I don't care if you ever change. She knew it. People know it. <clears throat> David and Jonathan, they had a covenant. They were committed to one another. In the hardest times, Jonathan did not leave David. And they made a covenant, and Jonathan even said to David, no matter what happens, be kind to my descendants. Don't kill my descendants. You guys, if you know the story, even after Jonathan died, David took care of his son. His covenant means that we're for each other no matter what happens and for however long, forever. And that's the way it needs to be. And what I'm saying is I can't, I'm not saying you can't go to another church. What I'm saying is if God's called you here, you were covenanted to those people. If you're journeying with people, you are committed to those people. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. And as long as God has you in a community, you stay there. With all of your heart is the key, right? The last thing is people like encouragement. I'll do this real quick. Any of you ever think to yourself, you know, I just really like it when people are critical of me. I like that, you know, Gabriel, I just really like it. Just, could you just be mean to me, please, right? There are people who are unhealthy. They like feed off that. I don't know what that is. You know, do you like that? Do you, you know, I really like to be around people who are all about themselves, you know? I like love it, you know? I just love it. I love hanging out with people who are just like, 
always talking about themselves and they never ask me how I'm doing. Don't you love that? Anyone else? Yeah. Don't you just love that? Isn't that the greatest thing? People who are always focused on themselves, they always talk about themselves and they never ask you how you're doing. And then, and then who are just negative, right? Just negative about everything and just negative about their life. And, and I love it, especially when people tell me what I should do and what I should think without really trying to understand me and who are critical of me. Isn't that just so wonderful? Don't you just want that? Isn't that what you're longing for in your friendships? No. What are you longing for? You're longing for somebody who likes you appreciates you, wants to understand you, and encourages you in your life. Amen? So guess what? Be that kind of person. Amen? People are not attracted to other people who are all about them. Do you, are you uh, about this kind of relationship? Is it about us, our relationship, or is it all about you? Are you an encourager? Do you believe in people? Are you calling forth the best of people? When you meet with somebody, I don't care if you've met them for one minute or 20 minutes, a friend or an acquaintance or whatever, do you add value to them? Do they feel bigger? Do they feel better? Do they feel more loved around you? Or do they feel smaller, weaker, less than you when they're around you? You can either add value to people or you can suck them dry. When people hang out with you, do they feel, you know, energized? Do they feel like, man, that just filled my love tank? Or do they feel, oh, they're calling again because they're just going to talk about themselves again. Now, listen to me. Friendship is give and take. My friend Billy and I, sometimes when we get together, he talks all about himself. Sometimes I talk all about myself, and sometimes we just talk because of stuff we're going through. One of my favorite stories with Jonathan and David is David is in the cave in 1 Samuel 23. We won't look at it, but in 1 Samuel 23, he, uh, David is in the cave, and Jonathan shows up, and this is what it says. It says, and Jonathan, <clears throat> some translations say, strengthened David's hand in the Lord, or another, sometimes I say, encouraged him in the Lord. <clears throat> and his exact words, paraphrased, where David, don't worry, you're going to become king. What was Jonathan doing? Reminding him of his destiny, his calling, speaking life to him. That's what a covenant friend does. We say, I know who you are. I know what you're called to. Your friends that you have, your spouse, do you know their divine destiny? Do you know what God says about them? Do you remind people that you hang out with of their identity in Christ? Do you know the prophetic words over their life? If they're called to be a pastor or whatever. Do you know that? Do you know what they're believing God for? Because guess what people need more than anything else? Someone to come alongside them and say, I believe with you. When they're weeping, you weep with them. But you build them up like Jonathan did to David. And you say to your David, if you're Jonathan, don't be afraid. Don't give up. You're going to be king. God's going to do what he said in your life. Do you see what I'm saying? That's an encourager. That's an encourager. And you can cultivate that in your life. You can cultivate that kind of way of talking. How do you do that? By building up your own faith is a good place to start. And being around people like that. But also, watch your words. Don't be critical. Now, don't flatter your friends. If they need to be confronted, you confront them with speaking the truth and love. But watch your words. Begin to write down and then begin to speak positive things to people. Literally, just affirm them. When you hang out with friends or maybe in your home group or with your wife or your, or your husband, literally write down some positive things and just say them just every once in a while. Just be like, man, I love 
how you really listen to people. I love how you really connect with them and empathize with them. I mean, this, I'm being serious. Gabriel's awesome, right? I love that, right? I love how you hear God. I mean, you are so sent to the spirit. Like, I'm jealous of you, Scott, you know, in a good way. Like this guy, he's dating his wife, his now his wife, and God's like, say this to her. That's not fair. Like, you got so much favor with God, okay? Do you see what I'm saying? You know, my John Paul and Nancy, these guys are prayer warriors, people of faith, you know? And, and, and see, so, so, so this is what I'm saying. You add value to them. You see their qualities. You see the value of who they are. Here's what we end up doing. We know everyone has strengths and weaknesses in their personalities. We talk about their weaknesses because we're frustrated. But love is patient. Love is kind. Somebody who sees people in Christ, sees them as a new creation, sees their potential, sees their destiny, sees what other people don't see, and we speak to the strength. This is what I do with my kids. You know, I like to joke that Joshua is passionate. He's only a year and a half. He has a temper, okay? Now, I'm obviously aware of his temper, and it's going to have to be cultivated. We're going to work with him. There's something of passion there, isn't there? That's what's really going on in him. We've got to be able to speak to the strength of people's personalities and, and what God has given them rather than to the negative. So practice affirming people. Write it down. Speak it to them. Listen to people's prophecies and then remind them of them, especially when they're discouraged. Say, hey, ah, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. Didn't God say this to you? Remind them. This is the kind of life groups we need. This is the kind of friendships that we need, that we can build each other up. And if you have been critical or there's been hurt in relationship, that's where forgiveness comes in. And so bottom line, what I'm encouraging you to do is become the person you want to have as a friend. Seek God. Become a healthy whole person. Number two, cultivate a heart of trust and a heart of commitment in yourself that you would have covenant in your heart. And also become an encourager. I believe if you'll do these things, you literally, people will be attracted to you. People will want to be around you. When I got saved, before I was saved, I was kind of a you know, loner, awkward in relationships and stuff, and I'm still working on that. But when I got saved, guess what? Everyone wanted to be my friend. Not joking. People just started to want to be my friend, and, oh, thank you for being my friend. You want to know why? Because I turned from inward to outward. I'm still shy. I'm still an introvert. But you want to know why? I go to people, and I love on them, and because of God's love. And because I'm an encourager, and because I believe in people, people want to be around me. Because I believe in people and I'm, 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 I'm happy, I love Jesus, you know, and I go through hard times, but I come home and I'm glad to be alive because Jesus loves me and I'm confident in his love and I can come home. I pre- create that atmosphere in my home and my kids want to be around me. So you can, do, you can drag people down and you can build them up. You can be all about you or you can be all about other people. And if you'll become an encourager and you'll become a committed person and you'll become a person who's seeking the Lord, people will want to journey with you. And you'll need to be discerning about whether or not they have these qualities. Because sometimes when we're like this in ministry, we'll give, 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 give. That's good when it comes to ministry, but that's not good when it comes to covenant friendship. When it comes to covenant friendship, it needs to be both ways. It needs to be both ways. Let's pray. Stand with me and let's pray.